I wonder if any of you watching out here today remember your first day of school. Or let me make this easier on all of us. Can you remember a first day of school, be it the first day of kindergarten or your first day of college? Do you remember what that felt like? Your first day in a new place, your first day on a new job. All of the anxiety that comes along with it and all of the excitement. The first day jitters. That is absolutely what I was feeling last week as I came back to be with all of you. I was having the first day jitters again. And so I did things to help myself cope. I, I laid my outfit for the day out the night before so I knew exactly what I'd be wearing. And I made sure I had all of my lunch plans settled so I knew where I would be eating, controlling all the things that I could control in the moment because there were all these other worries that I couldn't quite get a grasp on floating around in my head. What if nobody remembers me? What if I don't remember how any of this works? What if, what if I forget how to preach? Or worse, what if I remember how to preach but I don't have anything to say at all. What if I forget how to use all of the technology we'd have to, we've had to bring into the equation these last few years to make worship happen remotely? And friends, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I forgot some of those things last week. So sometimes the worries are real. But sometimes they're just that. They're just worries. They're a, they're a hurdle to jump over as you step back in, because eventually, with a little bit of kindness and a little bit of grace for myself, I'm able to see past the anxiety and come back into the relationships and the work. And now today, with the happy news we announced earlier about soon coming back together to live people on the chancel and live people out here in the congregation. We're feeling some joy and some excitement, I know. But maybe in a few minutes, maybe sometime after you watch this service, maybe in a few days, maybe in the days approaching when we actually come back to be together, I'm pretty sure I'm fairly confident in saying that some of those first-day jitters are going to creep in. Some anxieties are going to arise. What if, what if the seat layout looks different and I don't know where to be anymore? What if the people I enjoy hanging out with in coffee hour don't want to hang out with me? anymore? What if I forgot the words to the affirmation or the closing song? How embarrassing would that be? What if everything just feels different? And the truth is, many things may end up feeling different. But eventually, any one of us with just the slightest capacity, even, for kindness 
and a sense of grace to oneself and to others. Anyone who can pause in the moment and, and have that kindness and grace can find the quiet to listen to our own hearts and hear the truths that are being obscured amidst all our worry. Because if we can listen to the truth of who we are and who we are as a part of this church, we know what changes now and then about life in a congregation and what doesn't change. The rhythms of weekly worship, even though the form might adjust from time to time, are pretty reliable. The cycles and patterns of a liturgical year are pretty reliable. We can rely on Thanksgiving falling on the fourth Thursday in November and a Sunday before that having some sort of Thanksgiving service. And we can rely on Christmas Eve always being on the 24th of December and Martin Luther King Jr. Day being that weekend in January. And Easter, we can rely on a little less, but it still has a pretty limited range of where it can fall throughout the year. So sometime in the spring, we know that the life cycle over the long arc stays the same, and we can count on those rhythms and those patterns. And once we grow in comfort with that, we find that the connections we thought might be weakened or broken are still right there. We fall back into the patterns with our friends and our loved ones. And pretty soon we realize that given all our anxieties, we're all in the same boat with them. We're all sharing the same small fears and big fears and anxieties and excitement. And because we know we're all in the same boat. We can find even more strength to forgive ourselves when we make the small mistakes and trust that others will forgive us because we're all fumbling through it in the same way right now. And as we settle in to the patterns we recognize and the connections that strengthen us and the sense of grace that we can give one another, maybe the old patterns and the rhythms and other connections, ones we have forgotten about, start to reemerge as we live in it more. Or maybe even new and surprising and joyous rhythms and patterns start to emerge that we never expected and make us better. We'll get over these first day jitters together. I know we will. But, and this is not to, to frighten anybody or put anybody off, it's just to name a reality and something I can see coming. Once we've fallen into the small rhythms and gotten over those opening jitters, sometime soon a larger anxiety is going to creep in for all of us. We're going to realize that despite the familiar patterns and despite the exciting new ones that are emerging that we might want to grasp onto, still off in the future there, once we get our balance a little bit, a larger anxiety is going to creep in. A realization that even though we have come back together we're really entering into an era of rebuilding for ourselves. 
rebuilding our community connections, rebuilding and recreating how we do things here, rebuilding how we are a church in a brave new world, in a brand new time that we are entering into now. We are rebuilding community. And that is a daunting task. Everything around us may look and feel a little different, even with the familiarity of patterns and rhythms. And questions start to arise as we think about that rebuilding. Who are we exactly now in the face of all that has changed in these times? And who are we meant to be after all this, both here amongst ourselves and who are we meant to be in relationship to the other communities that we touch There is a lot of unknown that we are entering into, even as we come back into the familiar and the joyous. And that unknown will rely on us to build new patterns, new connections, new rhythms, new ways of doing and being. And that that is a big ask. And it's a little frightening the dreaded unknown. All of these experiences I'm describing here, the first day jitters, the coming back into church for the first time and trying to find our balance again, the big questions that arise about who are we becoming even as we grow familiar again and what are we building now together, all of those are liminal spaces. There's that word again. I talked a whole bunch at length earlier in the year about meeting the challenges of the unknown, about stepping into these liminal spaces, the thresholds that exist between everything that we know in the here and now and everything on the other side of the door that just is a big question mark. And it's tempting, I know, to want to pause in the liminal space to just cling on to the things we know. But the rhythms and forces of time and of history won't let us stay still too long. They are going to push us through. And so we need some sort of plan, some sort of idea to live ourselves as we know ourselves into that unknown era. And back in that sermon, I used a phrase and I used it again in last week's sermon. The way we start to build together is to acknowledge that everything we need is right in front of us. Everything we need to build our new future together is already in existence within us and among us, right in front of us. Now, this this phrase sounds like a platitude, as I acknowledged last week. But understand that to say everything we need is right in front of us is not to profess some sort of blind faith that the universe will just provide if we reach out. That's that's not it. That's not a reliance on something that might not be there. But it is a statement of faith nonetheless. It is a faith in our ability to grasp the realities at hand if we pause long enough to see them. It is a faith in our ability to recognize the gifts and talents within ourselves 
and within each other to know what the tools are we have at hand. And it is a faith in our ability to remember the spark, the spirit that lives at the center of our faith, at the center of our community, and act in its best interests. Saying everything we need is right in front of us, is acknowledging our capacity to know what's what in the here and now and what tools we have on hand to build a path from the here and now across the threshold into that great big question mark up ahead. And I know what you're thinking right now because I'm thinking the same thing too, even as I talk about this process. That sounds a lot more challenging than just pushing through the first day jitters. And you're right. Because these bigger questions are not just about remembering how to do things, are not just about getting our bearings, but about building a whole new boat while we're feeling lost at sea. How does anyone do that? How do we do that? It still starts with that sense of kindness and compassion and grace that we can feel towards ourselves and towards others. And friends, we are going to need a lot of grace with one another as we move into this new era. We move beyond the kindness and grace into a period of discernment, of, of breaking everything we know apart and finding what we need amidst all of it. Pagan writer Anne Hill says that discernment is the ability to tell truth from fiction, to know when we have lost our center and how to find it again. And that is, yes, a tremendous challenge because it's taking everything we know about us right now, plus all of the external information and noise that we are subjected to and barraged by sometimes every day and sorting out the essence of who we are and what we do next. And even with all of our personal strategies we might have for sorting through all of the noise and prioritizing the information we have, Sometimes, let's be honest, we lose track of the center. We lose track of our heart as a community. We forget sometimes what grounds us as a Unitarian Universalist Faith Committee. And sometimes, either personally or corporately, we wind up sometimes substituting somebody else's vision for the one we had for ourselves. We mistake ourselves amidst all of the noise. It takes intentionality to discern. Like mindfulness, it is something we have to do on purpose with some curiosity and compassion. We need to do it intentionally to break all of that apart. Everything we know about ourselves and everything we are being told outside of us to get 
clarity. Clarity about the truth of who we are. The real truth. The constant struggle between the truth and the noise is what makes this work difficult, but oh so necessary. So how how do we do it? And there are all sorts of models for personal discernment out there. I, for one, engage in a monthly practice of spiritual direction, meeting with my director once a month to talk about what's going on and have some reflection back at me of what what they're seeing to help me gain some clarity about how I'm thinking about things. But the more people you add to the equation, the harder and harder it gets, and so you need some more of a concrete process. One of the ones I have grown fond of over the last year comes to us from Susan Beaumont. She is a minister in the Presbyterian tradition and a church consultant. And her latest book, which came out just in time for the pandemic, is called How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going. It is the perfect title for these times. And the heart of the answer to the question for Beaumont, how to lead when you don't know where you're going, is to return to the heart of things, to to break off from everything and intentionally get to the heart of who you are, who the community is. And she lays out some steps for an intentional process. And I'm not saying right up ahead that we should engage in this particular. I just want to present a model to you today of why we intentionally break apart all of the noise and all that we know to get to the heart of things. First up, Beaumont says, stick to the big questions. The bigger, the better. The more conceptual, the better. Those are the things that deserve the attention of discernment and a questing for what the heart of us tells us about ourselves. For instance, as we begin to gather again, the question isn't, should we serve coffee? That's an administrative task. The question is, how do we come back together in ways that balance the sense of welcome we value with our care for the health of the whole community? That's a big question and one deserving of answers and some time discerning. And then once the big questions are are arrived at, we begin by staying grounded in our guiding principles. We name out loud or in writing what our principles are, what our sense of ethics are up front, and commit to finding answers or plans that keep us accountable to those principles. We name a sense of what the spark at the center of our community wants us to be. And we make a commitment to live into that. So we may put a boundary on our discernment that says any solution we consider must take into consideration both the individual dignity that we uphold and what is best for the web of all things possibly easier said than done. 
And then once we have named the big questions and we have named what our guiding principles are in our discernment, then we take the nearly impossible step, I think, of shedding our own ego and our own bias from the conversation. We have to get out of our own ways in order to hear the voice of the spirit, the calling of the spark at the center of us as itself and not as we might want it to be. It's hard. I mean, we all have outcomes we're invested in. We all may have agendas that we want to inject into things. But the trick is to not confuse my own agenda, whatever that might be, for what the spirit is demanding in the moment. And so again, this is, this is a deliberate act of naming something. As we named our guiding principles, we name what our assumptions are in this moment with regards to a big question. What our desires for outcomes might be with regard to the question, what biases we might have to identify. What is it within me that needs to get out of the way for the moment, for the spark of the whole community to emerge unhindered? And then once we've got all of that out on the table, begins the listening, the deep listening. And those of you who have engaged in small group ministry with us on and off over the years will recognize that term, the deep listening. It is listening only for the sake of absorbing, of hearing. It is not listening to communicate, not listening to respond, not listening to come up with your next argument or to try to fix a problem. It is just listening to what the heart and soul of our faith has to say to us about the question at hand. Perhaps we engage in this listening time in absolute silence. Maybe we enter into meditation together. Maybe it is a time of prayer or journaling. However, we kind of get out of our own head's way to hear what's lying underneath, and then start to move towards the places where the voice of the spark has some energy, gives us some sense of solace in the midst of the unknown. Or from the other end, what ideas are arising that make us feel desolate a little bit, might make us despair, knowing that perhaps that is not the path we need to follow. And then eventually, amidst all of this deep listening, the body that is in discernment together, where whether it is a chosen committee or all of us as a whole, having shed our biases and remembering who we are called to be within our principles, we can start to focus in on the ideas that speak from the heart of the community and take some time to develop those further into something we can actually do. But then, pause. Do not do right away. Do not act immediately. Take some time to reflect further on the decision that the body has come to, hopefully, through a deep listening to the spirit.
And the bigger the question is, the more time of pause might be needed. But the purpose of that is to see what further insights arise, to listen deeply to the idea in connection with the Spirit, to see what the heart of the community and our own hearts are prompting within us about what we are about to do, giving us a chance to discuss any further misgivings or further opportunities or further joyfulness that might arise from the action that has been suggested. And then, and only then, do put it into action. Build that piece, the bridge, across the threshold. Answering these big questions, who are we now? Who are we meant to be now? What really matters? How are we supposed to be in relationship with other communities and one another? All of this is extremely hard work. But all of this is incredibly necessary work if we are to rebuild with grace and intention and purpose. And perhaps, perhaps even with some joy in the face of all we have experienced these last two years. We are coming together soon. What we don't know is daunting. I will grant you, I'm a little overwhelmed by it. But as we come back together, as we start to answer these questions, remember, Everything we need, our intelligence, our wisdom, our talent and skills, our passion, our commitment, our capacity to gain clarity and hear us as a whole. All of that is right in front of us. May it be so.